Well, good evening. How are you all doing? Just you had a good week. All right, so please go with me to um, Mark 11. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, from verse 12. Are you there? Okay, so there's an example here, and then there's a lesson, okay, that Jesus was teaching his disciples. The thing I want you to understand about this is that in life, you cannot show up at work without getting ready for work. You cannot come out of the womb running full speed. You have to come out of the womb and learn how to crawl, learn how to walk, then learn how to run. This is a process. Does this make sense? And what's important about this process is that when it comes to, and I'm going to put this clear for us, okay? When it comes to the glory realm or the faith realm or the spiritual realm, we immediately think it's the magic realm. We, we immediately think it's the waving of a wand, the saying of an incantation, the, the, the just something simple that makes something miraculous happen. And I'm not saying that it doesn't seem that simple to someone watching. But to the person doing it, it's not that simple to get to the place where it looks that simple. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you see someone who's really good at their craft, or let's say even really good at shooting an arrow or, or, or doing anything, dancing or anything like that, you look at them, they make it look so easy. They make it look natural. They make it look like anyone could do it. But trust me, you try and do what they do, and you will soon realize that you are going to struggle to do it. Okay? Now why? Why are you going to struggle to do it? Is it because you don't have the ligaments, the muscles, the body, the ability to do it? No. It's because you have not trained yourself in that particular discipline or skill. So it is unlikely you're going to become proficient in any area of your life that you don't discipline yourself to become proficient in. Some people are really good at eating Smarties because they <laughs> practice often. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's very important that we get this concept because if God created the natural world to function this way, what in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth makes us think that spiritual things are different? Yes. What makes us think that spiritual things are different is the mystification of faith. And tonight I want to demystify faith. Number one, faith is something that every human being is born with. Every human being has got the ability to use faith. When you came out of your mother's womb, you had to have faith that they would look after you. You were helpless. 
You had to have faith that you would be somehow cared for. You had no other choice but to have faith. Is this making sense? Because what's imperative is that we do not separate this idea that somehow faith is something that is given to us later on. It is not. It is something you are inherently born with. God has given every man the measure of faith. The measure, not one measure for you and another measure for you. And when the Bible says that each one do according to his faith, it's basically talking about the level to which you've exercised the faith that you have. Now, Tamlin, how many push-ups can you do? Maybe. Okay. So I can do 20, she can do 3. Do we both have muscles? Is it possible for a girl to do more than 20 push-ups? Now it might be considered a kind of illegal comparison between a male and a female, but I think if we just say, there are girls who can do more than 20 push-ups, is it not? So if she can only do 3, and someone else can do 20, then is there something wrong with her? Is she deficient? Is she short of something? No, it's not even energy. The only thing she lacks is the use of what she has. If she used what she had more, she would become more proficient in what she has. If you walk longer distances, you get better at walking longer distances. If you don't, you don't. It's profound. I know, it's so deep tonight. But it's one of these really important things, because when we come to the Word of God and we read about the word faith, we immediately start to think it's some kind of mystical substance. It's some kind of abstract concept. Something that's difficult to understand, difficult to comprehend, difficult to make happen. And yet it's crucial, it's, it's critical to us accessing spiritual things and making them a reality in our lives. And yet it's so abstract, it's so out there, it's so ungraspable. This is what the mystification of faith has done. When people come and tell you, you don't need faith. You don't need faith. Jesus has faith for you. Okay? If this was true, then everyone would already be born again and no one would need to trust Jesus. Did you hear me? If Jesus gave you his faith, you would not need to be able to trust him. It is your faith in him that allows him to work in and through you. Without your faith in him, he cannot work in and through you because he said, whoever, that's you, so ever, who believes in me, the works that I do and greater works than these will they do. He didn't say, don't worry, guys. One day, everyone will just do what I do automatically. 
You do not get given Jesus' faith. You have the faith of Jesus. What do you mean, Mark? That sounds like the same thing. But it's not because the Bible compares us to having the faith of Abraham. Now, did Abraham give me his faith? Or is it talking about a different kind of faith when it says the faith of Abraham versus the faith Abraham had? You see, because when it talks about the faith of Abraham, it's talking about what Abraham believed. It's not talking about Abraham's ability to trust. It's talking about what he put his trust in. And when it talks about the faith of Jesus, it's not talking about Jesus giving you his ability to have faith. It's about what Jesus believed in. Do you see, this is a very important distinction. Because the minute people don't realize that they actually need to be actively participating in trusting God, they will not be able to operate in the things that God has for them. Nothing. Listen, you cannot put a smile on his dial if you don't operate in faith. There is a difference between the faith of Jesus, the faith of Abraham, the faith of Muhammad, the faith of Joseph Smith, which we do not follow, just for the record. There is a difference between those faiths and having the ability to have faith. You were born with that ability. You were created by God as a being who was able to have faith. Why? Because faith simply means to Put your trust in something. So it means. How many of you would go to a place, a faraway place, without a cell phone? Now you wouldn't anymore. If you go camping, if you go out far, you're going to keep a cell phone on you. Why? In case of emergencies. Because your faith is in the phone's ability to help you get hold of someone for help. That's called putting your trust in the phone's ability to do that for you. Most Christians have more faith in this thing than they have in God. They have more faith in their cell phone than they have in God. Because they will not lay awake at night wondering while they're on the campsite whether their phone is going to actually do what it was designed to do. They will not turn and twist in their bed hoping and wondering whether this thing will let them down one day just randomly. And if you have a phone like that, throw it away and buy a good one. Do you understand what I'm saying? And this is so important. I want this thing to land, man. I want it to land like you never understood it to land before. Do you see, our biggest problem is that we don't understand the verse that says we live by faith and not by sight. 
We don't under, this is not we, we are so schooled in the world of what you see that we never get schooled in the world of bringing the unseen into the scene. You cannot purely go by what you see. You will always be limited by what you see if you go by what you see. It doesn't mean you don't make plans. It means that you don't allow what you see to change this. To change your heart. To change your trust. To change your position. Otherwise, God would never have given you eyes, right? If someone throws a punch at you, best idea is to dodge, right? You don't close your eyes and say, dude, this is my fate. Are you, are you with me? Okay, uh, I hope that, that I'm making sense. Because it can sound to some people contradictory, but it is not. God gave you physical eyes to navigate the physical world, but he gave you a spiritual eye to navigate the spiritual world so that you can bring the spiritual possibilities into the physical world. Facts. Are you with me? You can align that which has been made available from heaven with what is now by coming in agreement with heaven and enforcing it to it manifests now. Does this make sense? But you've got to first see it. Now, which eye do we use to see spiritual things? If the eye is single, what does the Bible say? Yes, Paul prays and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened, that you may know the depths of the riches of Christ in you. Why does he say, I pray that your eyes of your heart will be enlightened? Is he just saying that because it's fancy? Is he writing in cursive, nice and beautiful? Or do you think he believes that your eye in your heart actually sees differently to the physical eyes. You see, if you want to have faith, you've got to first kind of understand what kind of faith are we talking about here. Let's just see an example of how Jesus pulls this off. Mark 11, 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. But it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Jesus is mad. Who talks to a tree? Would you be caught alive talking to a tree? This is how most people think, isn't it? I'm, I'm not trying. I'm not saying Jesus is mad. I'm trying to show you how people think. People think that if you talk to things, that you're mad. Yeah, you better say nice things. Do you understand what I'm saying? They they think that talking to things is silly. In fact, you are so pre-programmed with this idea that is why you don't speak. Every one of you in this room struggle to speak to things. And you know what? You can have the right belief about it. You can even know God's will on it. You can even trust God for it. 
If you don't say it, it don't happen. Jesus spoke to trees. He spoke to places. He spoke to people. He spoke to demons. If God can do it without going to the cuckoo house, Dad poisoned the tree and chopped it down. And I spoke to it and I said, come back to life. And it did. Fun experiments. Okay? So watch what happens. Jesus doesn't say to the fig tree, die! Does he say that? No. no. He says, he says to the fig tree, your purpose for existing will no longer be available to you. No one will ever eat from you again. And guess what? Because the tree had no purpose, it had no reason for existence. And that's Watch Jesus. I don't, you don't see Jesus ever saying to anyone, I curse you. He never said to anyone, die. He never said to anyone, any death, any negative word. Jesus never used any negative word. He said to the fig tree, no one will ever eat from you again. Done. And the tree only had one way to fulfill that. It's not to exist. Watch this. And this his disciples heard. So when Jesus said this, it was loud enough for his disciples to hear him. And loud enough for them to report him. Let's go down to verse 20. Because Jesus goes to the temple and there's another story that happens here. In verse 20, Jesus is now coming back the next day. Okay? And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Hold on a minute. So Jesus spoke to the fig tree. What happened to it? But hold on. In verse 14, it doesn't say it withered away. In verse 20, it says it withered away. So wait, hold on. So when Jesus told the fig tree, no one will ever eat from you again, okay, and it didn't immediately plump over and fantastically sparkle and go out of existence, Jesus didn't say, well, Dad, looks like that doesn't work. Did he? Did Jesus say, well, when's this going to happen? I just said it, I'm waiting. When he said it, he believed that he'd received it. When he said it, he had believed that he'd received it. When he said it, he believed that he'd received it. Did you get that? So important. And no one saw it. Until the next day. And what's interesting is that had they not come back this way, they would never have seen it. But Jesus would still have believed that he received it. Do you think Jesus went back that way to check? Or do you think that was just the way back? Watch this. 
And as they passed by in the morning, they saw that the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So remember, when you say, I curse you, okay, the person is still waiting for what the curse actually is. Do you understand? You say something, I curse you, and that's it. They're still waiting for what the curse actually is. You just, when someone writes down and they curse the fig tree, it's saying that they, they said something to the fig tree that caused it to no longer have a purpose to live. If you say that to people, if you say that to people, if you, if you say to someone you're worthless and you'll never amount to anything, then guess what? What do you do? You take away their purpose to live. And if they believe you, it will actually impact them. That's why I have a problem with labels. You say, you're this and this and this. Guess what? You've just prophesied that. That's what that person is. And they will forever be that. Every diagnosis on your life that is contrary to God's opinion of who you are is a violation of the heavenly law of who you are. Every single one. Let me ask you something. Who gets to name this phone? Does he get to name it? Does he get to put the specs down of what's in here? Does he get to tell you what it can and can't do? Does he get to tell you what it is? Does anyone else get to tell you what it is? No, he does, because he made it. So who do you think you are to say, God, sorry, but you're wrong. You got it wrong, God. I'm not, I'm not like that. When he says, I made you awesome, I made you perfect, I made you with everything you need to be amazing. And you say, no, 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 you got the wrong person. That's an insult to the creator. To disagree with the manufacturer is, okay, what is spoken of in Romans 9 when it says, who are you man to tell God what he can do with you? It's not, that, that statement was never meant to be a negative. It was meant to show you that if God created this or that, he's the one who made it. So he gets to call it. Not you. You get one choice, agree or disagree. Disagree and suffer, agree and thrive. It's up to you. Cool thing is, he made us really awesome. So you get to agree with being awesome. And anyone who disagrees with that is really deceived. Don't you think? Because why would you not want to agree with the manufacturer's default settings that you're awesome? You'd have to be specially lied to. You'd have to be in a special kind of deception. And yet, to a degree, everyone is. Tell me if I'm getting too uh, much. Okay, so, watch this. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. In the Bible there. The proper interpretation of that shouldn't be have faith in God. It should be have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. In the, in the original Greek should be have the faith of God. Why have the faith of God? God calls those things that are not as if they are. God believes that he can speak and it comes. 
You understand? God speaks and he expects to see. He doesn't see and speak. Let me say it again. God speaks and he expects to see. He doesn't see and speak. God didn't hover over the face of the deep and see light and go, oh, there's light. Or see darkness and go, oh, there's darkness. He saw darkness and said, I want light. Light come. Boom. Light came. That's the faith of God. Because watch the very next thing that Jesus says here. He says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and to be thrown into the sea. Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. This mountain, be taken up and be thrown into the sea? Does it sound like something that only God can do? So if you have the faith of God, you will speak to this mountain. I want you to count how many times it says speak or speaking or say. Okay, watch. Whoever says to this mountain, number one, be taken up and to be thrown into the sea and does not doubt, no, so no doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whoever, whatever you Ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. It speaks about speaking and saying three times more than it does about believing. And you all want to believe more than you speak. Facts of life. And it's not just you. I'd say 90% of Christianity is like this. They don't speak. It's like the devil has muzzled their mouths. Because you're a crazy person if you speak to things. Oh, never mind speaking to yourself. That's loony bin material, people. But yet David, who was the most successful king, David said to his soul, well, why would he speak to his soul? Is his soul out there on the wall somewhere? Or is his soul in him? Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his disappointments. Forget not all his, what? Benefits. Isn't that right? Who, what? Forgives all my iniquity and who heals all my diseases wow wow and it's even wow when you say it backwards but get what i'm saying if you don't speak it will never happen if you don't speak it will never happen let's go through that again it's very very important and jesus answered have the faith of God or have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and to be thrown into the sea. Okay, so watch this. Is he saying you must give a command to something? So we're breaking this down now. Okay, so what is he saying? Whoever. Did he say you've got to be special? You've got to be the pastor's son for seven generations? You, I mean, what? 
you have to be anointed seven times by Benny Hand. Not that he's a bad guy, just giving you an example. Is that what you need? Or is he saved? No, what you need is to have the faith of God. And then, speak. In other words, you have to believe that when you speak, that which is not seen, that that which is not seen will become seen. Because that's what God believes. God believes that when he speaks, it happens. He, you know, he doesn't double guess himself. Like, he doesn't say, like, wait, don't, just hold on a sec, let me think about it. Or like B, where is it? When is it coming? Why is it not here yet? Let me give you another example. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall it be that the words that go from my mouth okay, will accomplish the thing for which I sent them, and they will not return to me empty. Just like the rain falls on the ground and nourishes the earth before it goes back up, so is my word. Think about it. God believes that about when he speaks. And he has the devastating part. Most people listening to this will stink, but that's God. That's what blows my mind. As if the version of the Spirit of God that lives in you is not the same as Him. As if somehow, when He lives in here, He's limited. Somehow He's no longer God. He's just a man. And we brag about how big God is and how great He is to do nothing through us. Because God is massive out there. But with me, He's never God. Because He can never move through me. He can never do anything through me. Because, why? Because I believe. Correct. Because I believe that He's limited when He's here. And that's got to do with your mindset as far as how much you are willing to believe that the God that lives in you is number one, the same God that has rescued you and that the same power that he has is actually available in you. And the only way that you can release it is if you agree with his word and speak it. No, not that. So we will not advocate people to Ask God for things that is not that's not right or good, right? You shouldn't ask God for four wives <clears throat> or things like that, or for someone else's wife or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about or advocating here. But yes, I agree that basically he's not putting any limits on you. He's saying that if you have the faith of God, you will speak and it will happen. Okay. So so here's the thing. Okay, watch this. Truly I said, whoever says this man to be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So what's the second step? Don't doubt what you believe in what you've said. Do you understand? So if I say to my son, go clean your room. Right? It's a command. And he says no. Am I just going to say, oh, oh, well. no, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, I said, go clean a room. I'm going to stand my ground. Why? Because I believe he should go clean his room. 
Isn't that right? It's a conviction in me. So how do you know that you are, how do you know you have the right to demand something? Not from God, but to make a demand on heaven for something. When you have the right to, right? When you're given the right to. But when were you given the right to? When you became born again, you got the keys to the kingdom. kingdom. What were the keys to the kingdom? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Basically, the proper translation is whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Does it make sense? So heaven has made it available and then you can do it. Does it make sense? So that means that the authority is given to you to act on God's behalf as a representative as an ambassador on the earth. Now, if God speaks with the intention that his words do not return void, but accomplish the task for which they are sent, then when you speak, what intention should you have? You should have the God intention, which is the faith of God. The faith of God is God's intention. Because what else is God? What else is God believing when he speaks? He believes when he speaks. That what he says must happen. And then when does God back down from what he says? Will God ever back down from what he says? No. If God has said it, that's it. For example, God told Moses that, and he made a decree that no one shall touch the ark except the priests under any conditions. And one day in the middle of the battle, the ark fell. And a man out of a, out of, I would I imagined, respect for the ark, decided to hold the ark up. And he died. Was it because God told him, I'm going to kill you now, you naughty boy, you shouldn't have touched that? Or was it because God's word is perpetual and it remains and it will always be accomplished? Do you understand? That's, that's why the weight of God's word, you need to understand that God has given you the same mechanism in your being that He has. That's why you were created in His image and in His likeness, because He made you a world-changing machine. He gave you a world-changing suit, one that can interact with this physical realm and bring spiritual realities into the physical existence. When you see something, when you see something bad and you see it happen. Is it easy to say something bad is happening? Is it easy to say it? something bad is happening? Is it easy to say something bad is happening when you see something bad is happening? Yeah. When everything is good, okay, is it easy to say something bad is happening? No, because you're going by what you see. Isn't that right? Yeah. Am I correct? So when we say everything is good because we see everything is good, and when we say everything is bad because we see everything is bad, then guess what? We are only speaking in accordance with what we see. Isn't that right? We see, we're only speaking in accordance with what we see. Now, you cannot speak to something you cannot see. Hello. You cannot ignore the mountain. You cannot expect the mountain to disappear because you decided to not recognize the mountain. 
Does it make sense? The mountain doesn't vanish because you choose to ignore it. That's not how it happens. The mountain only moves because you choose to address it. And before you can address something, you have to acknowledge its existence. You have to acknowledge that there is a mountain before you can speak to a mountain. Otherwise, you are really in cuckoo land. Is it not right? So, first of all, if you speak to the mountain, you have to recognize the mountain, but then you've got to also make sure that you are convinced of God's solution to the mountain. Why? Because when we speak, we are wanting the authority and the backing of heaven to get behind what we're saying. Isn't that right? How many of you would like the backing of heaven when you speak? Would you like it? Okay. When does God's word change? So then when can you speak God's word and it not be the same as God's word? When you doubt that it is true. Because God doesn't doubt what he says. If you, if you read something someone else wrote, and you didn't read it with the same kind of conviction that they had, would it sound the same as when they said it? Imagine if, everyone wrote, if someone wrote down what I'm saying now, that they wrote it down. Do you think the person reading it would read how I'm saying it? Would they feel what I'm saying right now? No. They would get a different impression from reading it to you being here, hearing it, or even those hearing the audio. Am I right? Because there's a difference in my intentionality, in the intention that I carry when I speak. I say things meaning for them to mean things to you. I don't say them just to say them. I say them with the intention that they are going to help change your life. That they're going to help you see who God has made you to be so that you can walk in all that he intends you to be. Does this make sense? So that intention is not always going to carry. That's why God's voice and his intention are mixed together. In frequency, frequency carries intention. When Alex plays the guitar, how many of you feel or can sense there's an intention in the music? When you play, do you play as if it doesn't matter? Or do you play with a heart full of love for God, a heart full of worship to God? Do you have an intention? Yeah. So there's an intention in your music. If someone who has no love for God comes and plays the same song, do you think it would carry the same kind of quality? No, it wouldn't. Because there's an intention. There's an intention in music. There's an intention in all vibration that we participate in. Because we are creating these sounds with an intention. And this is what you need to understand. A lot of people, they will say the word of God over and over and over and over again. Because they think it's like a formula to say this until one day it works for me. And the question is, when is it going to work? Well, it will work when you believe it's true. That's what it says. Look, let me read it again. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and to be thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. It 
will be done for him. Is there a maybe in there? Is there a might? Is there a could perhaps one day? No, it's not. Is it there? Does it say it will be done? There's no, there's no wiggle room in this thing. So what will stop it from being done? If you doubt in your heart that what you say is true. Which means the only way you can speak and expect it to happen is if you speak from a place of being convicted that what you're saying is true. And when it comes to the things you see, it's easy because you allow what you see to become facts instantaneously instead of what God says about you. And that's why we, we keep in our lives reinforcing negative realities because those are experiences that we experience that is easy to confirm because we are in them. Right? So this is the point. When it comes to operating in power, in the power of the Holy Spirit, whether it be praying in tongues, whether it be laying hands on the sick, whether it be casting out demons, whether it be preaching the gospel, whether it be being a witness for Jesus, in any area of your life, when it comes to that, I want you to see something. Can you see this beautiful fragrance box? Okay, can you see it? And this is one of the gel air fragrance from Glaive, okay? And it's got this wonderful thing on top that basically stops the smell from getting out. Now you are like a fresh aroma to God. Okay? You're like a sweet-smelling scent. Okay? But the problem is that scent is stuck in you, stuck inside of you. Now, how many of you know that true worship is a sacrificial life? Okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, according to the before-mentioned mercies, that you, what, offer yourself up as a living sacrifice this is your spiritual worship or the least you can do. Then next verse, do not be conformed to this world. So don't stay in the box. Don't think like the world. Don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed there means metamorphosized, right? To be changed into something completely different. And I can go into that in great detail. I've preached on Romans 12 too many times. So it's really, really good, okay? But what I want to show you is that there is a process. Renewing the mind isn't just hearing me tonight or listening to this audio a couple of times and going, okay, I think I got it now. No, it's not. That's not renewing the mind. Renewing the mind is taking this information, that is your intellect, and making it come in agreement with your will and your action. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Your direction changes. To change your mind means you go in a different direction. It's not just accepting new information. It's not just acknowledging. We call this mental ascent. It's not mental ascent. It's the renewing of the mind. It's where you choose to take on a new piece of information and put it into practice in your life. It becomes part of you. That's what renewing the mind is. That's what true repentance is called. True repentance is a turning away from a certain way of thinking and living and then turning away from that towards another way of thinking and living. So what does the Bible call us to? It says, repent from dead works, right? So return, turn away from dead works and believe in the living God. What is it saying? It's saying, stop trying to earn your righteousness 
and trust God's righteousness. Does it make sense? That's, that's what it's saying. So you've got to turn away from one thing and turn towards another thing. That's what repentance is. And guess what? If you say I'm turning to God's righteousness, but you continue to live as if God's righteousness means nothing to you, you are still struggling with identity issues. You haven't actually made that shift. Okay? Now, when you haven't made that shift, how do you expect to let the Holy Spirit out when you think so differently to Him? Imagine if two people want to walk together. The Bible says, if two want to walk together, they must what? They must be in agreement. Isn't that right? If one disagrees, what will happen? They will go different directions. Well, when your carnal mind hasn't been renewed to think like the real you that looks like God, that acts in accordance to God's nature, then your carnal mind is like the man who is in disagreement with who you really are. And it ends up taking you off in a different direction. Now, how many of you want more of Jesus to shine through your life? Do you want that? All right. The more I turn it, the more it lets the fragrance out. Can you see that? To where I can turn it all the way to there. And it's like it's completely open now. When you are in disagreement with the Holy Spirit, that's where you are. He's in here. But you are not letting him out. When you come in agreement with the Holy Spirit and you agree with him and you put it into action, he begins to open. This begins to open. Your mind comes in alignment with his mind. You begin to possess the mind of Christ. You've been given the mind of Christ, but now you possess it. So when you possess the mind of Christ, then now, is it easy to smell this? Can you smell it? Can you, can you guys smell it? Yeah. Take, can you smell it? smell it? Is it strong? So the thing is, if this is closed, it's a lot more difficult to smell. Because the fragrance gets trapped in here. Now the problem is, we think, ah, once it's open, there you go, it's done. No. Because you see, there's a constant battle because of the information you're taking in every day. Between what the world's feeding you, and what God is giving you. And you're constantly going with this. And this is the reason why, even though people can get great success sometimes, it can be like this. Someone can get healed instantly, amazing stuff can happen, and then what? A couple of days later, they're under financial pressure, they're trying to struggle with some things, and, and they're getting so busy, but they're getting so distracted, and they're not realizing that the answer is to open this thing, right? And they're just completely distracted, boom, they close, and then things don't happen like they should. Because the Bible tells us that a soldier shouldn't get entangled with civilian affairs. Doesn't it say that? It also tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So when one day the world is pushing you this way, the next day you're pushing back, let me tell you, if you are not proactively renewing your mind daily, the world is actively trying to unrenew it for you.
facts of life. Is this making sense to you? I want to leave you with this one thing. This is the one thing I want you to take away. Your mind can be super renewed. You can know every right thing to say. But it will never happen. It will never become available in this realm until you speak. And some people will say to me, well, you know, I've spoken and I haven't seen it. So when do I stop calling? When do I stop calling for it? When do you stop calling your dog? When it comes. It's never dead. Even then it should resurrect and come. Understand what I'm saying. This is so important. Okay, let, let's be honest. How many of you on a daily basis are speaking the words over your life that you're supposed to be? And that is exactly the problem. And it's, and it's not because you're bad people. It's nothing to do with that. It's got to do with the fact that the devil has convinced you that there are more important things than the most important thing. That somehow speaking is the least thing you should be worried about right now. And yet it is the most powerful weapon against it. Like it is the sword. Are you with me? It is literally the sword. Just to clarify, when we talk about prayer in this instance, it's not something we're doing towards God. It's something we're doing into the air to bring about change in agreement. And many times it's the onslaught of thoughts that come to your mind. That's a different part. This is, I'm trying to make one point. Okay, because I spent all night making one point, and I hope you got it. What is that point? What is the point I've made? Did anyone else get it? Okay, speak and don't stop speaking. Why? Because sometimes it takes a while for the ship to turn. And the minute you stop speaking, the momentum you've had speaking in the opposite direction will push the boat back in that direction. Boats don't turn on a dime, neither does your life. Neither does the momentum of your life. So speak and keep speaking, not because you're trying to convince God or because you can't, you're trying to convince yourself, but because you know it's yours and you're calling it. You're already convinced. You know it's God's word. I don't think actually there's a problem with people believing. You know, like, honestly, I think most people, when they know God has said something, they want to believe it. I mean, do you want to believe that God wants you to prosper and be in good health? Do you want to believe that? Anybody? It's, it's, when you read what God has to say, you want to believe it. He's a good God. He makes good promises. They rock. It's amazing. He wants to believe it. It's only the world that comes and tells you, oh, it's too good to be true. Isn't it? What in case? What about in case this and in case? Are you with me? It's only, well, what if I'm not good enough to, what if I don't have enough faith? Well, everyone's got the same measure of faith. Start using what you have so you can get better at it. Start exercising a faith muscle. You know, when people wait until they have something like full-blown AIDS or cancer before they try and trust God for healing. And when they had flu, they were like, no, this is just normal. 
with a head of with a head of energy. You know, this is just normal. When practice swing, and you've got something small, it'll grow your faith. It's the same thing that David had with the lion and the bear. Remember, he said to the lion, he said, God was with me with the bear, he's with me with the lion, and he'll be with me, you with you, you uncircumcised Philistine. And that was a bad thing to say to someone. Are you with me? And then what happened? Didn't he say, My God, my God has delivered you into my hand? It was past tense. David made a declaration. Past tense. Yeah, that's it. You you just pick the fight, you can't win. This is done. And then when he shows up, <laughs> the Goliath's like, you send me a boy? What the heck? He's not even armored or anything. And he just, shoo, 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 shoo. I'm telling you, ballistics, ballistic forensic science will tell you there is no way Goliath would have fallen forward unless that stone was traveling as fast as a bullet. Because when a bullet travels at the speed of a bullet, it creates a vacuum behind it. And when it hits its target, it pulls the target forward. And it says that Goliath fell on his face. Think about that. David did what he knew to do. And Goliath was killed by God. Because God empowered his stone to be what it was. Do you, you get what I'm saying? When the stone left David's sling, there was David's ability. And then God's ability kicked in and took it away all the way. To where it needed to go. That's the partnership we need to realize we're in. I mean, for example, let's just take. You don't mind if I if I use your your work situation as an example. For for example, um, Alex was um, struggling with work for a while in the past, with you know uh, getting um, certain more work. Am I correct? And we didn't really even pray much about it. We just made a declaration, right, that you were going to start getting business. And it was going to be abundant and that was going to happen. And then Nisha, you began to confess some of these things and speak them out. And you believed it when you said it, right? Done. And since then, until now, every month you've made more money. Every month. Every month he's had more and more and more money. Because of the word of God. Now you can do that in your own strength. We did it with God's strength because he wants us to be prosperous isn't that right so this is what i'm trying to explain and i've had tons of other examples of where people have put the word of god into practice in this manner where they've come in agreement with the word and they've spoken the word and it has started to change them you cannot go wrong trusting the creator of everything you can go wrong trusting anyone else amen for a while and you were saying it for a while yeah. right and it was interesting, hey, how when you got busy, but the point I'm making is, even with Nana, for example, okay, the, with the company, Tamin and Nana started praying in tongues and started doing declarations over the company. They got two new clients or a new client or two new interviews or whatever. They were all excited. They got the, the clients in, etc. And then, boom, no more. And then we... Yeah, you got the clients, but you didn't continue. You see, that's what I'm saying. It's like the boat goes, it's going in the wrong direction. And then you say, oh, I better turn the boat. And you turn the boat right, and you put it in the right direction. And then you let go of the thing, and you walk away, and the thing goes, and then it goes, 
we go back in all directions. Actually, we see the clay, not the plants that we did get, because we mean there was of any kind. We need to declare that right stuff. Yeah, but you see, now you've learned from it. Exactly. So you've done one push up, now you need to do four. Right? So this is the problem. People, <laughs> people need to exercise the faith muscle. Uh, Charles Capps called it cultivating faith. In a garden, you know, you cultivate things. And he talked about cultivating faith. And I learned a lot from him as far as faith goes because so many people have muddied the water when it comes to faith. It's, uh, can I ask you this question? Do you have a better understanding about faith tonight than you've had up until this point? Yeah. Is it simple? Is it practical? That's what God wants us to have. A practical, simple way of, of that's, He built us this way. Forget it's been a mystery, like this illusion in a sense, for too long. Do we not just sit on that faith, Like this particular subject, when I start talking about it, I can I can just go like <laughs> no idea. Like it's everywhere. It's it's like everywhere, just all over the place. James, Ephesians, Philippians. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. But the point is made because I actually think that all of us in this room and many people who are listening, they have the truth in their heart, but they don't pick up their sword. And speak. Because it's only a shield. Are you with me? It's only a shield when you don't speak. Do you understand? Okay, so you can't just deny there's a So when it talks about, you know, um, quenching every fiery dart with the shield of faith. Well, that's your stand, right? That's you standing against the attack, the onslaught. That's your the renewing of your mind, having kicked in, the possessing of the mind of Christ, the shield, right? Boom! The helmet of salvation, the shield of the Spirit, it's protecting you. Every fiery dart, bang, 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 can't get to you. Why? Because you know what you believe, you know who you are, you know what God has created you to be. You're, you're anchored, are you with me? But then, how long are you going to stand there, man? You need to start striking back, you need to start progressing forward, you've got to take pack some ground here, right? You don't just stand there, so then, yes. Look, that's the thing. Okay, so so because we are still in what I would call, we still have a, a, a memory. Okay, so when something takes too long, okay, the question keeps coming up in your mind: Why is it not happening? Why is it not happening? Why is it not happening? It comes up in your mind. Now, you take that thought captive. Why is it not happening? And you say, uh-uh, you are in disobedience to Christ. Jesus already said it's finished. Get out of here. Are you with me? That's what it means, taking every thought captive and bringing it into the obedience to Christ. That's what it means. So, why is it not happening? No, 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 it's already done. That's the battlefield right here. That's the sword, that's the shield of faith. But now watch this. That happens to many of us. Boom. 
and we reject it, boom, and we reject it, but we don't speak. We don't ever attack. We just keep standing there, taking this beating. We don't ever attack back. Why? Because people are going to think you're nuts when you speak to something, or someone, or your body. Are you with me? Is this, this is really important. It's like, so if I'm, if I'm a soldier and I'm standing with my shield, right, and, and, I'm, and I'm taking a beating, bang, 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 bang. Shoot! I've got, to, I've got to actually strike. Otherwise, you'll be unfazed forever. Right? The best defense is a good offense. So how do you strike? How do you strike? You speak. So every time the enemy comes in, why is it not happening? Father, I thank you. It's already done. Jesus, boom. Are you with me? Does this make sense? How do we enter His courts with thanksgiving and praise? The Bible says, I pray that every, every prayer and supplication be made in thanksgiving. Why does he say every prayer and supplication and thanksgiving? Because he's saying, stand in the gap for those who don't believe and thank God for what he's already done for you. So, uh, I mean, uh, I'm in a situation. I happen to find myself in a violent place. Father, I thank you. You, you protect me, you look after me, thank you. I don't live in a place of, oh my goodness, I'm going to die now. But I'm also not going to go and run into the middle of Soweto thinking that everything's going to be okay. Are you with me? Like, unless I'm on a mission there to preach the gospel, I'm not going to go and test God. Because Jesus himself said, do not tempt the Lord your God. Is this making sense? So that, that is what's important, that we understand how faith works, okay? And it doesn't work unless you speak it, okay? Not far away from me, that someone has to go into heaven to find it. It's not far away from me that someone has to go over the sea to try and look for it. You know where it is? You know where it is? It's in your heart and in your mouth. The word of faith that we preach. This is in Romans 10. For with the heart you believe, and with the mouth you confess, and you're saved. And whoever cries upon the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. Do you see the word saved here only means to go to heaven? Come on. It means salvation. Provision, protection, help, deliverance, provision. It's all there. That's what that word salvation means. Whoever cries upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Like, I really, I know this has landed, but I think this last part actually be very productive <laughs> from a practical perspective. Because I see so many people not taking that action. They don't, they don't act it. They just, they sit there up to that point. They'll believe right. They'll even do right. You know? But they'll never speak it. You know? They'll never speak it. And when you start speaking it, that's when the devil gets worldly. 
That's when he'll that's when he'll actually send success your way just to stop you. Telling you. And he will find a loophole. Listen, imagine you are legal. Okay, you're like you are whatever you say becomes legal. Well he can work within what you say then, isn't it? So if you can work in what you say, if you say, if you make the statement, oh man, I'm never going to get better. Well, guess what? You just gave him a legal framework. He can work within that framework. If you say, if you say, praise God, I'm healed. He's got no framework to work with. If you say, God, please teach me patience. Then he knows you don't have an understanding that patience is already in you. And now he can torment you for the day and you'll think it's God. Did you hear about the guy who asked for patience? <laughs> God, I need patience in you now. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You have patience. Use the patience you have. We have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And what does love do? It's patient, it's kind, it's long-suffering, it endures. Are you with me? So what, if you want to bear fruit, you're going to bear love. And love doesn't want to see people sick. But if, if you love someone, do you like it when they're sick? Or do you hate it? Come on, how much do you hate it when you see someone that you love ill? Do you have, like, is it a passionate hatred? Yeah. It's a passionate hatred for that. And, and so most people have this passionate hatred for sickness when it comes upon someone they love, and yet God loves us more than anyone could ever love anybody else, and yet somehow we have to beg him to do something that we would be desperate to do. Correct. Which is why Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. He, he made it better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm telling you, people have told me this. People have told me I don't have the right to, to um, I don't have the right to expect people to forgive the way that I want them to. They have to forgive whichever way they want to. And, 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 my, and my comment to the person was, I don't, I don't expect them to forgive the way that I want them to. I expect them to forgive the way the Bible says they should. Because Jesus said, as you have been forgiven, forgive. This is, this, there's this thing. It's weird. It's so weird. It's like strange to me. People say uh, stuff like, this, if someone uses you or abuses you, then distance yourself and you know all this stuff about how somehow you have the right to now you know treat them like distant bad relatives. <laughs> you know? And but at the end of the day, if God did that to us, like what would be the deal? Like would would we like it if if because we're constantly giving reason. Like every day we give him reason. Every day we tempt him. Don't trust him. Every day we act like he's the one who's going to keep failing us. Like we're so perfect, we never fail him. 
And yet every day he's got patience with us. Every day he's kind to us. Every morning mercy wakes us up with the promise that we could be like him today. Every day. Praise God he knows how to forgive. But I just thank God he knows how to forgive. That's probably one of the reasons why in my life I've, I've tried my best to forgive the way he does. Like I, I really have. Like whenever I've ever felt, man, I didn't like what this so-and-so person did, I might have been upset for a little bit, but then afterwards I just let it go and I forgive. And it would take like an hour or something. <laughs> nature. And most of the time when those people have come to me and spoken to me, it's already been done. I've already... I've already forgiven them, had peace about it, and everything. Because why? That's how Jesus forgives. He doesn't, he's not. Are you with me? And so we need to learn to forgive that way. Does it make it easy? No, of course not. It's not easy. It's powerful. Being powerful doesn't necessarily easy. I find it easy to forgive others, but often I find it very difficult to forgive myself. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, forgive yourself or bury your love in the box. Absolutely. The, you know, the thing is, though, how dare you not forgive yourself when Jesus died to forgive you? It's kind of an insult. It's actually another selfish self-centered thing to do. It's really what it is. It's a pity party. And if you're honest with yourself, you will learn. I've done it. <laughs> you know, I beat myself up. You know, like, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Right, you know, you, everyone's done that. Okay? But at the end of the day, we actually don't have a right to have unforgiveness towards ourselves when Jesus died to forgive us. We don't have that right. So, yeah, stop it. <laughs> exactly, we do this, right? We close off. That's what we do. And when someone offends you, trust me. Hey, China. <laughs> For a week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Many people, bro, you offend them. <laughs> like... Closed like Fort Knox. <laughs> and like a month later, how's it? How are you doing? I'm fine. Can we have some coffee? No. <laughs> like, I thought you were a Christian. And they were like, they were maybe like this because they picked up the phone. Also, this unforgiveness affects your heart more than anything. And from your heart flows every issue of life. So it's important that we guard it. Anyway, edit the last part out about the burying you alive in the box thing, okay? Yeah. Because no one knows the context. <clears throat> Except us. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? I've seen it. I've seen it. I will show it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just ended quickly so we could. Is this the mic?
Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, I just want to pray for everyone who's listening. Um, and we're all going to be in agreement here for your health, for your provision, and for your protection. Right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. Complete health, complete provision, and complete protection that you've already made available to every single believer. And I thank you, Father, that not only is it available, but that as they open their mouths and speak your word, that they will call forth that which is theirs into this physical realm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.